There we go. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, the text for this morning is from Revelation 11, and you might be thinking, what happened to 10? <laughs> it's actually from Revelation uh, 11, starting at verse 15. You might be thinking, what happened to 10 and 11, 1 to 14? Those we are skipping for the time being. Um, for a lot, we have a lot of visitors here today. And just let me bring you back up to speed on, on what we're doing. This book of Revelation um, that we're walking through really has three main parts, three sections, if you will. Uh, and there are three visions that all look at the same time frame from the ascension of Christ until his return. And there are these sevenfold visions. So we had the, the seven seals that were opened up, and now we're going through the seven trumpets. We're at the seventh trumpet today, but in between the sixth and the seventh seal and the sixth and the seventh trumpet, there are these like, uh, like an excursus, right? It's like a, a timeout, and, and there's this other text that's in there. We cover that Wednesday evenings at Bible study, so you're encouraged to come and hear about those. Um, I'd also like to point out there's a really cool uh, booklet back there. If you don't have one of these, uh, there's still a few back that you can grab, or I can print off some more, or just email you a PDF if you want. And it, it covers a lot of stuff. It's about 40 some pages long um, of the stuff, some of the stuff that we're skipping. And actually, there's a really cool section here on the angel that is in Revelation 10. So if you wanted to, uh, you could backtrack a little bit and check that out. Um, if you're like, well, I would really like to start from the beginning. They're all recorded on YouTube, so you can go out to our YouTube channel, start from the beginning, and uh, watch the sermons through, or the Bible study. Uh, if you want to do it in Bible study version instead of the sermon version, you can do that too. So there's lots of ways to, to hear all of this stuff when it comes to Revelation, and today we are talking about that seventh trumpet, and we're going to kind of juxtapose it to that seal a little bit too. Um, but this is the word of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Um, and for this, I'm going to uh, ask if you are able to, to please stand. The seventh trumpet. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servant, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for the destroying of the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters in Christ, um, these sevenfold visions <clears throat> portraying this same amount of time is, is also looking at that same amount of time from different sort of perspectives. Uh, I, I keep saying it every week, but I know we got some visitors today. It could be helpful to say it again. It's kind of like if you were talking about the, that time frame of World War II, you could say, well, th this is you know, World War II, and, and look at it from the ground war, Right? And, and you could spend days, weeks, months looking at that. 
Never even talk about the air campaign. Well, now let's look at it from that perspective. Or the Pacific versus, you know, the, the, the Western Front. There's, there's just different ways to look at the same chunk of time and the stuff that's happening. And that's, that's what these three sevenfold visions do. And today, we're, we're looking at that, that same seventh peace, right? The, the seals versus the trumpet. So the lamb is breaking the seals, and when he gets to that seventh seal, uh, we have the text up here on our screen this morning. We discovered the lamb opened the seventh seal. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. I asked the congregation, I, I sort of challenged people, be completely still and silent for half an hour, meaning like empty your head. Don't, don't think about work or stuff to do around the house or, or this or that. Just, and, and the response I got from people who emailed me or, or texted me, they were all they said the same thing. It's impossible, right? There's just no way to do it. But that's what happens when Jesus returns from this perspective. In, in one way, it is so awe-inspiring, so, so tremendous that they just stand in utter stunned silence. We've had moments of that. Everybody's had a moment like that where, where something just stuns you, and for a split second, your brain is empty. You, you can't, you're not listening or hearing anything. If there's something going on, you're just like... But it only lasts a, a split second for us. This is a short amount of time, and it's, it's really, whether it's a half an hour or, or how symbolic or how literal is this language, isn't the point. The point is that's one way to understand the return. It's so awe-inspiring. It just, it just consumes your entire mind. And then today we hear sort of a different way of looking at that. Uh, from Revelation 11, the seventh angel blew his trumpet, which is already loud, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So the, the opposite of that, very loud, right? So when Jesus returns, utter stunned silence, but in a, in a way also this incredible uplifting of, of sound that is overwhelming and, and tremendous, the, the kind of noise where you, you can't look away, you're, you're just you're focused on, on this sound that's coming from heaven as Jesus is returning. And, and these two things are, are not opposed to one another. It's just different ways of understanding the very same thing. When Jesus returns, it is going to be stunning. It's going to be huge when Jesus returns. And if we think about it, there was a lot of ways it was like that when he first came, right? When, when we think about Jesus in the manger, we, we think about a couple of different things. There's, there is just the, the quiet, simple Bethlehem, little, quiet, sleepy town, right? Like little sleepy town, Iowa. I've been spending a little bit of time deer hunting in this little town called Minburn, Iowa. It's, it, if you blink, you'll miss it when you're driving north on 169, right? But it's the quiet, sleepy little town. I sit in my tree stand, and it's just, it's great. It's, I love it, right? And then, and then there is the, the other part of Christmas when Jesus is born, which are angels on high singing Gloria in excelsis Deo, right? Like that just, whoa. And so the, the, you get the shepherds all quiet, and then whoa. So it's, it's both of those things happened the first time Jesus came. 
So we, we shouldn't be surprised that the book of Revelations is prophesying the same sort of a thing will happen when Jesus returns. Only it won't be just in this, this small little town of Bethlehem, in this specific singular region in the Middle East. It, it'll be the entire world experiencing all of this. What great joy. I mean, just think about that now, this, this Christmas season, as we're hearing the story, as we're listening to the, the story of, of you know, everything from the, the wise men, the shepherds, and all these things, this, we're going to get to actually experience it. And we've all thought, like, I wish I would have been there, right? Like, how cool would it be to be one of those? Well, we get to have an experience like that on that last day. Whether we're here and Jesus returns, or we're with Jesus when he returns and he brings us with, it, we'll all get to experience it. And this is the, the, the concept that we've got to kind of get our brains around today, is this idea that it happened, right, 2,000-ish years ago on a cool evening sometime, probably not December 25th, whatever it was, right, that Jesus came and all of this happened. And that he will come back whenever that happens, but he does come now. It's also here now. The best, best way I can kind of phrase that is in the, the way we pray for it every single Sunday. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Do you know that when you're praying the Lord's Prayer, and you get to that piece of the Lord's Prayer, you're praying for the end of the world? End of this world. We get it in our head, that apocalypse of John, and the end of the world is this terrible, horrific thing, but it, it isn't from the perspective of a Christian. From the perspective of those of faith, it, it isn't this violent, terrible, terrifying, painful experience of, of chaos and war and destruction. It's the, the opposite of that. It is the trumpets of celebration. It's the silence of stunned awe that he is here and he has made all of this his. That's, that's what the text says this morning about the kingdom. It says right here, as we read this morning from that verse 15, we just had it on the screen a minute ago, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. The kingdom of this world already belongs to him, but he will fully take it up on that last day. I want you to think about that for a minute. The kingdom of this world isn't, isn't just talking about the secular realities of this world. But all of those things that the, the kingdoms of this world, whether they are actual kingdoms or if they are republics or democracies or, or this or that, all of that authority, Jesus will take up personally and manage in a divine way. It already right now belongs to him, but it's being run by a bunch of sinners. <laughs> and that's our problem. I mean, every time we look around this world and, and we think about uh, all, all the troubles in this world and, you know, in this country over here, here's the problem and, and the people in power are doing this and that's wrong. Or the people in power here in, in America are doing this and that's wrong. The people in power here in, in Iowa or there or, and, and we start pointing fingers, um, you're probably right. 
But here's the thing. The way you would do it, also wrong. (laughs) And also sinful. Because the problem isn't that person who's running that government or those people who are doing those things. The problem, as I was saying in, in confession, is us and every one of us are sinners. And every single one of us have those same imperfections and same sinful tendencies and the same sinful nature that will always mess up the stuff of this world, even when we are working to the best of our abilities to be godlike in what we do in every institution, right? In the church, we will make mistakes and and be sinful. In our marriages, we will make mistakes and be sinful. In our families, and on all these places where we see authority that God has granted, people will find a way to mess it up. But now imagine on that last day, I mean, just just think about the the struggles of, of any nation right now on the last day. Imagine God taking over. Imagine Jesus running the healthcare system right? I mean, he's the guy who heals the sick, the blind see, the lame walk, and it costs nothing, right? And it's not even like a pretend nothing where you just tax people and then actually spend the money. No, it's the real nothing, right? Real, actual, free health care. And what about welfare, people who are hungry? He's the one who feeds 5,000 with just a couple of fish and some bread, yeah, he'll, he'll do that well. He'll do the welfare system. What about the economy? I mean, the, the economy of the new earth is such where nobody works and everybody has whatever they need, right? It's, it's, it's amazing. This, this is the Lord Jesus taking, that's how it's supposed to be. It isn't that he's taking the way things are supposed to be and he's going to make them better. This is the design of creation. If we look around the world and we see all of these troubles and all these problems around the world, guess who's at fault? It's us. (laughs) And, And I'm not saying that I would do a better job as president of the United States. That is not what I'm saying. Although I have some ideas. I'm just going to say I have some ideas First one is that we just declare the Minnesota Vikings the Super Bowl champions every year, right? We can do that, right? I mean, dictatorship work sometimes. No, I, I'm not saying I would do a better job. I'm saying any person and any group of people are going to fail in some way, shape, and form, and we're going to have problems, maybe different problems with different leaders, but guess what? Problems nonetheless. And then Jesus will return and and he'll put things right the way they're supposed to be. And that's why the heavenly host is praising his name. That's why the angels are praising his name. That's why the 24 elders, remember the representatives of the Old Testament tribes and the New Testament apostles, are they're saying, thanks be to God that this whole mess of the world is finally being run by someone who is perfect by someone who has the power and the authority to accomplish all of these things that he promises to us. That's what we're looking forward to. And it's, it's not just that the, the world is full of sinful people doing their best and messing things up, but as we read in our text, and we're going to have on a screen in just a second, there's also sin and evil in the world, actively working against God bringing his kingdom to us. But our text this morning says something I think is pretty pretty powerful. It's that turnabout is fair play. And 
And so the next point in the sermon is turnabout, because God does a turnabout on sin and evil that is brilliant in its execution. We shouldn't expect anything less than brilliant from God, right? But it's brilliant in the execution, how he turns things around. We're going to look at uh, verse 6, 17, sorry. Verse 17. I'm sorry, verse 18. Verse 18. <laughs> the nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of earth. I would tell you that we are all of those things. We are the nation raging. We are the destroyer of the earth. We are all of those who work against the kingdom of God because of that sinful nature. It's inside of all of us. But sin, death, and the devil himself have been raging for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. The Lord, is, as we talk about in Bible study, has been restraining it somewhat, but we see how the devil wants to cause pain and suffering and, and consternation amongst not just the people of God, but all people, because Satan wants the opposite of what God wants. God wants all people to be saved and to have eternal life, and Satan wants all people to be damned to hell forever. They are polar opposites in that regard. So, so Satan causes us the, the suffering and pain, not by inflicting us with it, but by encouraging the evil and the sin that is in us. And those words, I'm sorry, I meant to have that on the screen for just a little bit longer, Andrew, thank you. Those words right there, raged and wrath, what stuck out to me as I was going through this text to preach for today is those have the same root in the Greek language. Raged in wrath of the same. So it is, it is taking what the world does. And the world does rage, right? Sin and evil rage against God and his kingdom. Want, want all of the opposite things of God and his kingdom. And God turns around and goes, I can play that game too. And I'll bring that same wrath and pain and suffering and destruction against all of the evil in the world but I'll put it first on my son. Brilliant. You see, if he were just to return to the world, what the world is giving to the kingdom of God, we would all suffer as Christ suffered. And I don't mean the crucifixion. Yes, the crucifixion, but also... When he says, Aloy, Aloy, Lama Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, <laughs> raging against God's kingdom to not have it present here on earth, the Lord's wrath of return is to say, okay, and then remove his presence. And it killed his only son. It was the greatest suffering and pain that Christ experienced. It's, it's not the mocking, the beating, the whipping, or the crucifixion. It is the removal of the presence of God that causes him to cry out and then say it's finished. Now, I remind you that the, the nations have been raging for thousands of years. 
Maybe they will rage for thousands more. But the wrath of God, how long does it take? I mean, there's the 33 years that Jesus walked the earth, the the three years of ministry, all this is kind of approximate, the sort of six hours of his crucifixion, or is it just that moment? It shows us the difference in the scale of God's glory and his power and his might versus all that the world would bring against his kingdom. In just a moment, he squelches it all. He snuffs that flame of sin. And I want you to remember that this is the same sin and the same evil in all of us. We are the ones raging against, but it is as simple as God not returning that wrath on us, but putting it instead on his son. You understand that transaction is so simple. I mean, it's it's not easy because I can't do it and you can't do it and you'd have to be God to be able to do it, but it's simple. Take all of this and instead of destroying it where it, it belongs, to move it over here where it doesn't belong and then take all of the righteousness from here and then put it over here. It's just that easy. This, this, is, this is a simple thing for the Lord to do, <laughs> but it is the most important Simple thing to not only know, but to trust and believe that his wrath is all finished. When we read Revelation, we're looking forward to the kingdom returning. We're not worried that he's coming back with wrath and anger to destroy us. No, that's, that's, it, that's been done. It's finished and it's over. We look forward to the return of Jesus in celebration to, to make all things new. And <clears throat> in the text this morning, um, it, it ends with a concept that I, I still think is hilarious with little kids. Uh, it's a concept of object permanence. You guys know what object permanence is? When you're playing peekaboo with a baby, I would do this. I don't know if you guys do this or not with, with kids. You play peekaboo and you hide behind something and you go, bah, and you pop out. It surprises them every time. Because if they can't see it, it doesn't exist anymore, Right? And, and why is that? Because babies are dumb, right? <laughs> well, guess what? We have a real object permanence problem as well. well let's take a look at the text this morning. Um, the last verse in our text, verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of the covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. But the ark of the covenant was seen within the temple. So we have an object permanence problem because John, the writer of this, having grown up um, an Israelite and Jewish, and all of the people reading this had a, either a, a Jewish background or knew it well enough to know, well, I mean, the, the ark was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar a long time ago. The ark is gone, right? Sorry to disappoint all the Indiana Jones fans out there. It's been destroyed. It's gone. But it isn't. You just can't see it. Because <laughs> the covenant isn't destroyed when, when you destroy a, a hunk of wood and metal and stone tablets. 
The covenant isn't destroyed. The temple of God, the brick and the mortar is destroyed, but the temple of God is where God's presence is, and that's not destroyed because it exists where he is. Where he is present is where he is. And his people aren't even destroyed. Those who who we don't see anymore because they've died, our loved ones who've passed away in the faith, we we have this lack of, of object permanence because we think they're gone. No, they're not. They're worshiping the Lord just as we are right now. They're worshiping Jesus just as we are, and they're doing it right now. You just can't see it with your eyes. And it's okay, but it's, it's just not real. <laughs> We're being dumb babies when we believe that just because we can't see it, it doesn't exist. With eyes of faith, we actually do see a God who truly exists, and he has made his promises known in his holy scripture. And he has said what he is intending to do. The same thing he did the first time, bring his kingdom in a way that was shocking, astonishing, surprising, and and wonderful and glorious, he's going to do again. And there will be people stunned in in awe and silence. And there will be people who, who are overwhelmed with the sound and the noise And and we will all together worship and glorify God because his wrath was poured out on Jesus and not on us. And we believe that because of that gift of forgiveness and the righteousness, that simple transaction that God makes, we will be like Jesus in the resurrection as well. Not like we're perfect and we're God, but we have these physical bodies. And he will run this place Well, not like this place because it'll be gone because this is the old earth, but the next place. And there will be streets of gold instead of Iowa DOT causing traffic jams all the time. I'm looking at you, Rob. (laughs) All right? There there will be nothing but glory and and wonder and astonishment and people who who have everything they need, the food, uh, the joy, everything that anybody needs. No one will be sick. No one will be sad or lonely or scared at the resurrection. That's what revelation is about. It isn't isn't something scary or terrifying. Boogity-boogity-boo. It is for us such a joy to know what God is doing. And this is why this book, Revelation, is so important for the church. Because there's people who don't know it. There's people who hear stuff out of the Bible, especially Revelation, they say, that God sounds mean. (laughs) He sounds angry with all that wrath and judgment. But we know the truth. We see something they don't see. We hear something they may not be hearing. We just know somebody they don't know. And it is our job to bring that truth to them. Amen. May the peace which surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.